This is Shi'ar Jeshub, a Bible study program coming to you from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle is a non-denominational Christian church of dedicated believers who want to send forth the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and inspire a love for His Holy Word. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing the in-depth Through the Bible Study series taught by my husband, which he entitled Heavenly Authority. So get your Bibles ready if you can, and let's join Pastor Greg for the beginning of the Sunday message for this portion of the Heavenly Authority series. Last time in the Heavenly Authority study, uh, we saw the marvelous promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there would be the seed of David, that person that would come from his own body, that would be the one that would establish his kingdom, that this kingdom would come that would be forever, an eternal kingdom. And that the one that would establish it, the seed of David, God would be his father and he would be God's son. And obviously, it was the promise of the Messiah, the one that the Lord tells David would build a house for God's name. And in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, there are some short-term fulfillments that you have in Solomon, uh, David's direct son, uh, as far as building the temple. But obviously, when you read it, it speaks of someone greater than Solomon. It speaks of someone that would build the true house of God, the eternal kingdom, the long-term fulfillment, the eternal fulfillment that is Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we saw that with this marvelous promise to David, just as with the Levitical promise or the priesthood that would come from Aaron. God was not trapped by his promise. He was not trapped by those who were in the lineage of the promise, who would try to use the promise to mock God, to test God. And we left off, we saw how Jeconiah, one of the kings, like many of the kings that were David's descendants, who did evil in the sight of the Lord, how Jeconiah, this descendant from Solomon, God said to him through the prophet Jeremiah that none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. And from that time on, for the Babylonian captivity, really none of the descendants of Solomon prospered. So that when you get down to the time when the calendar turns from B.C. to A.D., and you find the descendant of David through Solomon, through the king Jeconiah, you come to Joseph, and Joseph, a good man, a righteous man, yet as the descendant of Jeconiah, he is not prospering on the throne of David, rather he's a carpenter in Israel. And Messiah would receive, as the adopted son of Joseph, he would receive the legal kingship as the firstborn adopted son, 
and yet he would prosper, right, on the throne of David his father, because he was not Jeconiah's seed. God could not be mocked. He fulfilled the promise to David, and yet he fulfills the curse to Jeconiah. And Jesus, the legal descendant of Jeconiah, does not fall under the curse of Jeconiah because he's not his seed. He's not his flesh and blood. But he's still the seed of David, from David's own body. And God fulfills that promise that the seed of David, through David's body, would be the one to establish the kingdom because Jesus is of the seed of David through another son of David, Nathan, down to the woman Mary, the virgin that gave birth to Jesus. So God cannot be mocked. He can fulfill all his promises. And if you're a descendant of Aaron and you think as Eli's sons that because you're a descendant of Aaron, you can do anything you want and God is trapped in by his promises to Aaron, no, he's not. And if you're a descendant of Solomon and you think that you can do anything you want as the kings of Judah because God has made a promise to David, no, you can't. The house of David was indeed blessed forever as the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 through Messiah. But God cannot be mocked. God cannot be trapped. People, God cannot be played a game with. He cannot be toyed with. He knows the beginning from the end. And he is way, way smarter than us. And that's an important lesson when we consider heavenly authority. Just because God makes a promise, he will fulfill his promise, it doesn't mean that we abuse his promises. Because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, and he can accomplish his promise and still deal with our sin. For the wonderful promises of authority, the kingship, to benefit David's descendants, what did they need? They needed the like faith of David. Otherwise, it didn't benefit them. And we've seen this principle over and over again, that we must stand in the faith of the originator to whom the promise is given to benefit from the promise. Just having peripheral benefits in inheriting some benefit, as the people of Israel inherit the benefit from Abraham, and certainly God will fulfill his promise. He will bring everything full circle. He has reestablished Israel, and the kingdom, the Messianic kingdom, will come out of Israel. But those in the lineage that said as the Pharisees, we have Abraham as our father, and they beat their chest in righteousness, as we studied, John said, God can raise up out of these stones descendants of Abraham, and he called them a brood of vipers. To have the benefit of the promise, to have the benefit of the authority given, and this is a warning to ministers and those who are called to certain positions, and God has given a promise, we must stand in the like faith in which the promise was made. How was the promise made to David? Certainly it was made because David is sitting there saying, what can I do for God? I have this palace and his dwelling, his ark is in a tent. And that heart's desire was blessed, was pure in God's sight, and to that faith, to that heart's desire, God gave the promise. 
And when David's descendants stepped out from that type of faith, stepped out from that type of attitude, well, there was a lingering benefit. There was a kingship, but at some point God said enough. And you have the Babylonian captivity and you have the pronouncement of Jeconiah and it doesn't benefit them because they do not have the like faith of their forefather, David. That's review. As we come to the end of the study on David, there's a few things we should consider. We all know what happened to David. We know his sin um, and the fall of God's anointed leader. Maybe we should look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's look at that in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll read, starting in verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. Now, these people uh, that they attack, the Ammonites, whose capital city is Rabbah, in chapter 10, David had tried to make peace with them and showed kindness to Hanan, the king of the Ammonites. But Hanan would have no part of it. And rather, Hanan goes and he hires large numbers of Syrians to fight against the Israelites. And so Joab is sent out, and the men are sent out to battle. And this time, David stays behind. He stays behind alone in Jerusalem. And you wonder if the scripture in verse 1 implies some idleness as the men are out in the battle, that David's back in Jerusalem. Maybe they told him he should stay there. It was better for the kingdom. We don't know. But it's almost as though he's aimless there. He is a man that was used to warfare. His men are out, and he's all alone, so to speak, obviously, servants there, in the castle, in the fortress. And there's a sense of idleness, and it's springtime. You know, uh, oftentimes we see in springtime that the minds of men and women turn to romance. So he's got time on his hands. He's wandering the castle, and it's springtime. And we discussed before how the situation, once his wife, Michael, was given by her father, Saul, to another man, how it led to a series of events where David has many wives, many concubines. And in this situation, really, there's no true love. He's in a situation that there are some that would be very envious of him. There are some men that would say, wow, he has all those wives, all those concubines, what a lucky guy. But they don't understand that David, in those experiences, does not know what it's like to have one true love, someone he can count on. It was stolen from him, really, by Saul early on. And by taking all these wives, these concubines, he's pretty much killed any chance of it. But he's there, and with all those women, he's lonely. And he's there in springtime, and he's in his castle, and he remains in Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says, 
Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house so he can't sleep. He goes up to the roof, and what does he see? And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So he looks down and he sees this pretty woman. And her husband's out at war. And she allows herself, obviously, to be seen. Now, some have written in commentaries that, well, in the Oriental way, in the Eastern way, it was normal to have a courtyard where they would go out and bathe. And there really was no immodesty on her part because she normally couldn't be seen except that where the castle was, where the, the palace is, David can see down on her. So I think there's a degree of immodesty. This woman's beautiful. She knows she's beautiful. Uh, and it's a lack of modesty. Obviously, if she is out in the courtyard and that was accepted practice in those days, which it doesn't quite seem from the Laura Moses it was, she's not doing anything to hide herself as she bathes. And there is a lack of modesty. It is a, a spirit of exhibitionism, I believe, like Bathsheba's, that's rampant in our society today. We love to hear from our radio family to know if our program has helped you in your walk with the Lord. All correspondence should be mailed to Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle meets at 10 a.m. on Sunday at the Madison Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Please join us next time for Shi'ar Jashub.